Good morning, everyone. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help me to preach faithfully and help us all to listen carefully in obedience and humbleness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our preaching passage is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. Imagine you're looking to buy a parachute. You walk into one store where there are pictures and advertisements about their parachutes, and they have lengthy explanations about the quality, the material, and stuff like that. Then you walk to another store, and you ask the owner about their parachutes. Suddenly, the owner takes one off the shelf, straps in, and jumps down from the building to demonstrate how well it works. Which parachute would you buy? The one with much information, or the one that the owner was willing to stake his life on? Of course, it depends on whether the fellow died in his attempt to demonstrate the parachute, but if he didn't, and the parachute worked, then I would choose the second shot, because the owner had so much faith in their product that he was willing to put himself at risk to show his absolute faith in the product. And that's what true faith looks like, isn't it? It's not just about having information about how things will perform, though that's very helpful, but ultimately, it is about trusting enough to be able to take a risk, to put your weight on that product because you believe in it. And today, friends, we will see how real, solid faith looks like in response to the person of Jesus. And perhaps it's worth thinking about how that would look like for us as we look at the text. So with that, we come to our passage. We start at verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knocked before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now here, we see a ruler, which in this context refers to a person who leads a synagogue. And this ruler is most likely a Jewish man, and most likely either a Pharisee himself, or at the very least, works with the Pharisees as he leads the synagogue. Now here we see this important man, a ruler, someone with close ties to the Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus, who would be considered an enemy of the Pharisees. Now we also know the Pharisees don't like Jesus, that they've been trying to discredit his ministry. So for this man to approach Jesus, he would be seen as someone who's not towing the party line. It's a big deal, isn't it? This ruler may become a target for the Pharisees now. Maybe he loses his position or privilege. Maybe he might come into trouble because of his open support for Jesus. And as if that's not enough, we see this ruler, when he comes to Jesus, he kneels before him. What would the Pharisees do if they find this out? Now, while kneeling, could just be a symbol of respect. The word used here in the Greek, proskunio, is a word that also means worship. So Matthew hints here that maybe, just maybe this man isn't just coming to Jesus in a respectful manner, but he sees Jesus as something more than a mere man. And so he's bending his knee because of what he believes about Jesus. And as we continue looking at this verse, we see why he has come. His daughter has died, 
But he believes that if Jesus came and laid his hand on her, she would come back to life. So how does Jesus respond? Matthew captures it in the simplest way possible in verse 19. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Jesus heard, rose, followed him. And this shows us that Jesus has compassion for those who come to him. And perhaps even more so, since Jesus knows what's in the heart of man, perhaps Jesus saw the true faith this ruler had and the desperation of a father wanting to save his daughter. And in this, friends, we can see how Jesus hears, how Jesus has compassion. However, in the middle of the story, we suddenly come to a diversion in verse 20 to 22. The story leaves us in suspense as we have to wait to see how Jesus is going to deal with the dead daughter of the ruler. And we are suddenly introduced to a woman in verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Now we find out this woman has been suffering from a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now this indicates to us that uh, she might have a fibrosis or some form of uterine medical problem. Now the issue isn't merely a medical one, but one that affects her in a very significant way. Now as we read the Old Testament passage today, as we listen to it being read, you may have felt a little uncomfortable that this idea of how it deals with the bodily emission, being declared unclean. Now, it's totally understandable that in this day and age, we feel uncomfortable reading this. Even though this is for the Old Testament community, that doesn't apply to us, we still feel a bit uncomfortable reading this. But imagine how hard this reality hits that woman who is in that community. She has been bleeding for 12 years. And that means she's been ceremonially unclean for the whole time. So for 12 years, she would have been considered an outcast, forced to live outside the city, unable to have a normal life, unable to come worship at the temple, unable to have fellowship among her people. So for all intents and purposes, she is in that sense dead to her people. Now, even walking into a town would have gotten her into trouble, right? Because anyone she touches would be considered unclean. And yet we see here, she comes in, touches the fringe of Jesus' garment. And we see her reasoning in verse 21. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. However, this doesn't do much to explain to us why she thought, Touching Jesus' garment would make her well, right? Is this some superstition? Some pagan belief? However, we should be astounded to see how Jesus replies to her in verse 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Jesus commends her for her faith and declares that her faith has made her well. So what's going on here? Her belief in the fact that touching Jesus' cloth, would that have any bearing in her being made well? 
Now, all along we have been seeing Jesus focuses on the teaching, on the message that he brings, and not on the healings or the miracle. Yet here comes this woman, touches his cloth, receives a miracle, and Jesus commends her. Now, the thing is, most likely, we're not really reading this with a Jewish understanding, so we might miss what's being said here. So to get this, um, we need to refer to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And I'll read it for you. Verse 2 of Malachi chapter 4. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now this is the promise of Malachi. For all those who have been lamenting that God has left the people, God has given up on them. And we find here this assurance that one day God will come to bring this message of judgment and then will come a sun of righteousness. And in the way that the sun spreads light and heat, this is a sun that spreads righteousness. Now to those who realize this and understand this, they will see the sun of righteousness here is a metaphor. And it's a metaphor that points to the Messiah, the Christ that's been promised throughout the Old Testament. The Messiah comes to bring righteousness to God's people. And here, he brings healings in his wings. And this is how they will know he is the Messiah. He will make people righteous, no longer beholden to their sins, and he will bring healing in his wings. Well, of course, it doesn't mean that he will have wings on him. Rather, the Hebrew word used for wings here it's actually a word that refers to the extremities, the edges. So you can see why it would be weird to translate it in a literal sense, right? He brings healing in his extremities or brings healing in the edges. So in English, we translate this to him bringing healing in his wings. And the idea here is that away from his immediate body, as he extends and spreads his wings to cover his people, even that wing that covering will heal. And now, in the context of the person, we know it's not talking about the wings, right? But what extends from the extremities? The clothes, or more specifically, the tassel that every Israelite is commanded to have. Now the tassel then would be the furthest thing. I don't have any here. Uh, the tassel here is the furthest thing from the main body. And it's something that's found at the very edge of the clothing they wear. It trails behind them in that sense. The tassel is a symbol of identity, is an extension of the person. And in the context, and in this context, it's saying that the Messiah will bring healing even to the very ends of his garment. So it's picture language. It shows us how great the healing that this Messiah brings. That even the edge of his cloth is enough to heal. So, there is more actually, if you study the pattern and shadow of the typology that supports this from Ruth asking boys to spread his robe over her, the commandment for the Israelites to wear tassels on their robes, the anointing oil poured on Aaron dripping down to the edges of his robe. But we can't do that justice. So, what we need to know for today is, this woman, hoping that she will be healed, if she just touched the edge of Jesus' robe, shows us what she really believes about Jesus. She is making here then, in the strongest possible way, a declaration. She genuinely believes 
that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ that's revealed in the Old Testament. She's saying this is the son of righteousness that comes to save his people. And that means he brings healing even in his wings to the extremities of his robe. So you can understand now why she believed that just touching that end of the robe is enough to heal her. She's not coming from a superstitious place. She's not coming from a pagan belief. She's not making this up. She's coming as a Jew. Understanding the Old Testament, holding on to the promises of God, the hope of healing that comes through the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. This faith, it is this faith that made her well. Even the term that Jesus uses here to declare that she is made well, the Greek word sozo, is a word that has two meanings. It means healing, but it also means salvation. So there's a play on word here. Through her faith, she has received physical healing for the issues she has, and spiritual healing through the salvation that she receives through faith. So really, through her actions, she is declaring that genuine faith. This Jesus is the Christ. And so she is healed and saved through that. Salvation by faith, an important Christian doctrine. Her salvation did not come because she touched the cloth, but because she put herself out there, acting on the faith, believing that Jesus is God's promised Messiah. So with that, the woman is made well, and the scene, the, the scene now shifts to the ruler's house. We come to verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute prayers and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Now, we see flute players and a crowd that has gathered here. And these would be professional mourners. And some would be people from around. They've heard the news and they've already begun the mourning for the loss of the little girl. So when Jesus saw them and told them to go away, the girl is not dead but is sleeping, they would have thought Jesus is not quite right in his mind, is it? isn't it? And after all, if these were professional mourners, it would be embarrassing for them if the person that they're mourning for is not actually dead, right? So they just laugh at Jesus. And they're sure that Jesus must be wrong. And you notice what a contrast this is with the two individuals that we've read about. Now, the girl has probably really died. But what Jesus means when he says that he, she, he is not dead is simply that to Jesus, who has the power to raise someone from the dead, it is as if she is sleeping. She just needs to be woken up by him. And that's exactly what he proceeds to do. Verse 25, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Matthew deals with the raising up of the girl in such a simple and direct way that we can see how simple a matter this was to Jesus. He came, he called the girl to life and she rose up from the dead. There is also one more thing to consider as we see Matthew showing us this raising up of the girl. Now remember the son of righteousness that brings healing in his wings? Well, as you continue reading that verse, you'll see that the next thing God promised is, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, we sometimes take this to just mean, oh, when the Messiah comes, you'll all be happy, like cows set free to God and play. But if you think about it, 
Why are the calves in the stall? They're being fed. They're being kept away from physical activities so that they will be fattened, so that they will eventually be slaughtered for their meat. The calves are in the stall because they are to die. But instead, when the Messiah comes, they can now rejoice because they've been freed from that stall. They are free from death. So those who come to the Messiah, those who are destined to die, they will be free from eternal death and he will give them joy. So if we understand this, we can see that Matthew is taking this subtle declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, which we can see through the woman's attitude in coming to Jesus in the way that the man bends his knee before him. And we see right, this narrative, Jesus raising the dead, Jesus giving salvation to those who come by faith. And Matthew takes all of these things, he combines it here to make a point. And he's showing us here, this person, Jesus, is the son of righteousness who comes with healing in his wings. And those who come to him are set free from death. This is not an isolated case being described here, but it's a statement. If Jesus can raise this girl, then all who trust in him and come to him will be raised, as was promised in Scripture. This is the proof that Jesus is the Christ. So we have seen Jesus revealing how the kingdom looks like in the Sermon on the Mount. And for the past few weeks, we've been seeing hint after hint of how Jesus is the Messiah. He's more than a man. And we see how Jesus brings in the kingdom. He forgives sins. That he is the messianic bridegroom. And finally, now today we see that Jesus solves the problem of death. And so the stage is now set for greater revealing of exactly who Matthew is claiming Jesus is and what his mission is. And we're going to see this in the weeks to come. But for us today, what do we take away from this? So firstly, we see salvation comes by faith. But what is the form of the faith? Now remember the parachute example, right? What if the owner of the shop who jumped out with his parachute, actually had a lousy product that doesn't work. Would the amount of faith he had on that product matter at all? Absolutely not. So it's not about the strength of your faith, but it's about the object of the faith. You can have an absolute faith in a weak and powerless saviour, and you won't be safe. But if you come with faith, even as small as a mustard seed, in a strong saviour that God has exalted, then he will bear you to salvation. So the object of faith is important. And we see from our passage, Jesus can bring the dead to life. So rightly, we can trust him with our life. We can trust him with all that we have. Secondly, we see how the two different people approach Jesus. Each had their own barriers, each had their own circumstances. The, rulers approach op the ruler approached openly, defied his colleagues to come to Jesus. The woman approached quietly, shamed of her condition, risking coming into the city to touch Jesus. She might even have been scared to come to Jesus because what if Jesus said, oh, you have made me unclean? So both of them came out of desperation, fear, worry, humbleness. 
But they came regardless of all this. So we too must come to Christ no matter what our situation is. Even if you're going to be ostracized and hated because you come to Him, He is worth it. Don't worry about how pitiful you think you are or how much of a failure you think you are, how sinful you've been, how desperate your situation is. This Christ is the one who will not break a bruised reed nor snuff a smoldering wick. You can come to Christ in faith no matter what your circumstances are. And your faith in Christ will save you. So here we see how Christ accepts them, assures them, and he gives them what they need to continue to trust in him. He healed the woman. He raised the dead daughter. Now, this is not a promise to us. This doesn't mean if you pray, God is going to raise up your loved one or God is going to heal your sickness. He can, but that's not what he promised. But he will give you what you need to trust in him if you come to him by faith. So come to Christ. These things happen here and were recorded by Matthew so that we can have that assurance that in Christ there is an ultimate healing. There is eternal life free from death. There is true hope in Christ. Recently, we've lost people. Some others um, may have lost people who are close to them, family members, who are faithful Christians. And even as we are saddened by their loss, we know that for those who depart this life with genuine faith in Christ, there is hope. So even as we read today's passage, we know that they're not gone forever. Just like the girl, they too will be raised up one day to eternal glory, won't they? So knowing who Christ is allows us to conquer even the fear of death. So isn't that a comfort then to those who are in sorrow and mourning? So let us be people who come to Christ, having full faith in Him as the one who is promised by God to be our Redeemer and Saviour. Let us, like the ruler, bend our knees before Him. Let us be like that woman, desperately reaching out to Him, knowing that only in Him is our salvation found. He is worth it. So nothing should stop us from coming to Him, Nothing that we can't give up for his sake. And nothing more important than him. So, even as we come to the end of our sermon, we are reminded that the report went out to all the districts. And we should see how amazing that was. That people are now going to hear about Christ. That many who are broken, desperate and humble <coughs> excuse me, can now come to Christ and find restoration and healing. So knowing that, <coughs> so knowing that, won't we to bring the message of the gospel to the people around us? Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, help us to respond rightly. Help us to be people 
who trust in Christ, who's willing to give up everything to come to Him. And for those who come to Him, let us persevere, Lord, trusting in Him all the days of our life. Amen.